Testing. One, two. I open myself up to you as a willing vessel tonight to do and to say whatever it is that you would have me to do and to say. I thank you, Father God, for this night. Thank you, Lord, just for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. So, again, <laughs> we have a wonderful mic, and I don't turn it on, but welcome again to Tuesday at the Table. Um, I hope that the word uh, reaches you and you are well. Um, I pray that this word... Um, would set a fire in you and, and be a word that is, that is on time for you and it just, uh, that it is a word for, for right now that you need. So, I wanna start with a question. Have you ever been asked to do something and the moment certain people found out about what you were asked to do, all they had were all of these reasons why not, why you shouldn't, why you couldn't, um, whether it was something from your past or something from your present that they felt disqualified you. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure we all have. Um, Timothy was no different. And I'm coming, much of tonight will be in Acts um, between 11 and 16. So this first verse is Acts 16, 13, and it says, Paul wanted Timothy to go with him as a missionary, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, since they all knew that his father was a Greek. So the people knew about 
Timothy's heritage. They knew that his father was a Greek, so to them, he was disqualified. He was not able, and he should not be able to go and preach the word and deliver the gospel. But Paul knew otherwise because God knew otherwise. And so what this verse tells us is that it does not matter. It does not matter who our natural father is or who our natural father was. What matters is the call that God has placed upon your life. And when he places that call, there may be certain things that you have to cut off. There may be certain things that you have to remove yourself from or distance yourself from. But when God calls you, then that's all that matters. He is your qualification. Let's see. Also, when he calls you, he's going to prepare others to come alongside you. Now, yes, there were people in the Bible who went out on their own. You know, there's Jonah, of course, in the belly of the well. Um, let's see, Elijah, when he was out, uh, he was out in the wilderness on his own, even John the Baptist. But we have many examples in the Bible also of multiple people or groups of people going out. And those people, they, they came alongside each other as they went to do their father's work, and it helped strengthen them. So, and even if you are, even if you're not in a group of people, you are never at any time in any circumstance alone because with you is the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will equip you. He will teach you. He will guide you. He will lead you in everything that God has asked you to do in that moment and in every moment. So we know, again, disciples went out in twos. Timothy was sent out with Paul and Jesus himself went out with a group. But his most... Um, important relationship was the one that he had in those private times between him and the father um, so in these instances people did life together and that life what they did together it was centered around Christ that's why you could have Jews and Gentiles that's why you could have people from all of these different walks of life who had maybe nothing else in common but they had Christ now, I want some of you all who actually attend Destiny, think about the people that you've come into relationship with since you've been at Destiny. How different are you from one another? You know, you may be friends with some that you have similarities with, but I can guarantee that there are going to be others with whom, if it were not for not just church, but Christ, you would not have been brought together because your worlds are just that far apart. Um, so, like they did with... Um, like the people did with, and these were Jews. These were not the, the Gentiles. These were, you know, Paul's own people. They were the Jews. So people will attempt to discount and discredit you. The enemy, through those people, will attempt to make you question not only your calling, but God's ability to work through you. And that's, let's go to Acts 11, 17 through 18. But when you are certain of who you are, then it doesn't matter what others say. It doesn't matter what they try to do to discredit. And 11, 7, Acts eleven seventeen says, so if God gave Gentiles the same gift equally as he gave us after we accepted and believed and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, who was I to interfere or stand in God's way? When they heard this, they quieted down and glorified and praised God, saying, 
then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance that leads to eternal life, that is, real life after earthly death. So, when God puts his seal of approval on it, it doesn't matter what anyone else says. And those who are truly the children of God, those who are truly kingdom citizens, they will come into agreement and come into alignment with what God has said. Because there is no, there's no fighting God. I mean, you can try. <laughs> it's not going to be a very good uh, outcome for you, though. So why are we talking about heritage? Why does it matter who sent us? And why does it matter that God is with us and the Holy Spirit is with us? Because in this earth, we are his representatives. We are the representatives of God. When he, when he called us, when he told us, I want you to go out, you're an evangelist, you're a, a healer, or you're a, a prophet, or whatever it is he's called you to do, whatever field he's called you to be in, then he sent you there to represent himself. And so Acts 16, 18 says, Then Paul, being greatly annoyed and worn out, turned and said to the spirit inside her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ as his representative to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. So we are Christ's representatives. And when we speak, we speak with his authority. When Paul spoke, so I'm sure you all are aware of this story. This is when Paul, they entered in, I believe it's Philippi. And this young woman who was possessed with a demon, there was a spirit in her of divination, um, was following them around, proclaiming, these are men of God. And Paul knew that even though she was saying the right words, the spirit behind those words was not the Holy Spirit. It was not the spirit of God. And so he told that spirit, you have to come out of her. Now, when Paul spoke, he didn't speak in his own authority. He didn't speak in his own name. He spoke in the name of Christ. And so that spirit had to listen to him because of the authority that he had in the name of Christ. Um, another example is Jesus himself. Jesus was sent as a representative of God. He was sent as to be a witness to who the Father was, and that is who we are in this earth. We are witnesses. We are representatives. We are ambassadors. We wear many names, but ultimately we are representations of what Christ, of who Christ is, of who God the Father is. When someone is hurting or they're broken, we can come alongside them and offer them comfort. We can offer them guidance. We can offer them a word of encouragement that is inspired by the Holy Spirit that is in us. So we may walk up to someone, they could have the biggest smile on their face and they could be you know, going about life as usual, but the Holy Spirit will tell you, tell him or tell her, and you can completely wreck them in a good way because they know that what they've been praying to God for that answer, that, that, that moment of relief, that peace, you bring it to them in that moment with that word. So John 11, 41, 42, and I'm going to turn it with you. It says, and this is Jesus speaking um, at the tomb of Lazarus. He says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me and listen to me. But I have said this because of the people standing around, so that they may believe that you have sent me and that you have made me your representative. 
So Jesus Christ himself came as a representative of God. He did not come to speak his own words. He did not come to do his own thing. He came to show, to represent God in this earth. And that's what he did with the disciples. He taught the disciples how to do what he did. And so by his example in the word, by the example of the disciples, even when they got it wrong, we can use those examples to say, okay, my father, he loves me. I don't have to be perfect. I'm striving to go from glory to glory to glory. And as I grow, I become more and more like my father. So we are Christ's representatives in this earth. That is, we have our individual calls, but ultimately in everything that we do, we're supposed to be representing him. Now, I don't know about you, but there is a certain, well, chapter really, whenever I read it, when I read those words, something on the inside of me just came to life, something it just stirred. And this is even when I wasn't so, so mature, <laughs> or as mature as I am now. I was still pretty, there was still some, some carnal things going on in my life. But I would read this, and what, I'm, what I would read is Isaiah 61. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, so we'll just look at Isaiah 61.1 for now. And it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed and commissioned me. How much more do we need to go about this earth to do what our Father has told us to do? I believe that Isaiah 61 is it's foreshadowing of Christ, of what he was sent to the earth to do. But... The Bible, even though it's foreshadowing Christ, it's also telling us who we are. Um, we, when God, has, when God says, you, I want you to go out. I want you to minister to women through, through exercise. I want you to minister to men through your strength and through your knowledge and your wisdom. I want you to go out and minister to these things that I've given you. And he anoints you and then he commissions you. He prepares you. He gets you ready to go out and do what he has called you to do in this earth. So there we have our, our orders, our mar marching orders. We can continue through Isaiah 61, and it's, it's beautiful. Um, for instance, the... So let me ask. We're doing all of these things. We are his representatives. We've been called by God. We've been commissioned and anointed. But why are we his representatives? Why are, his, why are we his witnesses? Why does God even need or want to use us in that manner? And I think one of the answers we can find in Matthew 28. I'm sure this is a very familiar scripture to everyone, Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. He said all the nations. He didn't say just those people who look like you, just those people who talk like you, think like you, walk like you, dress like you. He said of all the nations. So there will come people who are I mean, as far different from you as, you know, an elephant is from a cat. But God will be that connecting factor for all of you. When you go, when you teach his word, and you, you teach them who he is, when you help the people to lean on him, to believe in him and obey his words, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that he has commanded us, then you're working in what God has called you to do. How we do that is different. 
we're not going to do it all the same way. It's just like a hairdresser. You may go to a hairdresser because you like the ambience of the shop. You may go because you like the price. I may go simply because I don't trust anybody else to do my hair the way I want it done. But that, that's three different people going to three different hairdressers because that hairdresser can meet those specific needs of the people. You, each of you, can meet the specific needs of certain people, and that's okay. You don't have to be, um, if someone likes Diet Coke and you don't like Diet Coke, you don't have to like just completely negate any kind of relationship that you have. I know that seems trite and trivial, but um, relationships have ended or not even begun over things less trivial. What about a football team? And we'll just leave it there. <laughs> People will stop a relationship or not even begin a relationship because you um, root for opposing football players. So we know, and when we look at this, um, I want, to think, want you to think back to Joshua 6, 1, 6 through 9, when, and let me turn to it. I wasn't going to read it, but it, it's a powerful set of scripture, and this is another one that jumps out at me. Are you having, can you not hear me? I apologize if the sound is a little wonky, but Joshua 6, 1, verses 6 through 9, and it says, Be strong and confident and courageous, for you will give this people as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do everything in accordance with the entire law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may prosper and be successful wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall read and meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything in accordance with all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will be successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified or dismayed, intimidated, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So does this not echo? This is the Old Testament. The Old Testament is not separate from the New Testament. But the Old Testament, here we see in Matthew, the very same words echoed. Lo, I am with you always, remaining with you perpetually, regardless of circumstance and on every occasion, even to the end of the age. So when we go out to do the work of our Father, we, one, don't go out alone. We might be a single person going out there, but we are not alone, for the Holy Spirit is there. And God's word, his infallible word, is true yesterday in the Old Testament, today as we sit here, and it will be true tomorrow for the next and the next and the next generation. So part of why we do what we do, because we're supposed to go out and make disciples, but how are we going to make disciples if these people are bound up in whatever it is that they're bound up in? So we must set the captives free. Again, this is a, a reference to Isaiah 61, where 
But first, let's take a look at Acts 16.20. Sorry. And it says, And when they had brought them, that's Paul and Silas, before the chief magistrates, they said, These men, who are Jews, are throwing our city into confusion and causing trouble. They were turning cities upside down. They walked in, and because they were being, um, they were following the word of God. They knew the law, not necessarily the Mosaic law, but they knew the word of God. They knew what God had shown them, how he had walked it out. They knew what God had done, what Jesus had done in this earth. So that's what they were doing. They were following his example. And so when they went into towns and they did not act the way that they acted in those towns, they didn't think the way, they didn't believe the way, they didn't act and look like them, it, it, it discombobulated them. Now, in this particular example, what happened before is what we were talking about previously. The young lady who was, you know, um, through the spirit of divination was saying that these men are men of God. The people didn't like that. It was against what they knew and what was their norm. And so it, it, it didn't fall into their status quo. And so they wanted these men gone. So they took them before the magistrates and they were like, we need to get rid of them. They're causing confusion and causing trouble. Now we know. Now when I read this, I was like, confusion? Our God is not the author of confusion. He's not the author of confusion. But remember, the word of God says that he will use the strange things of the world to confound the wise. So you've got these people, they've been doing all of these things, and they think what they're doing is correct. They think what they're doing is right. And in their own eyes, they're good. They're, they're making money off of this girl. They're... Getting, they're telling people what the people want to hear, and you know, all is well. Everything is all nice and even kill as they want it. And then here come these two men talking about this Christ, talking about this guy, and proclaiming this. And, pro and they're like, wait a minute, that's not what we do. That's not how we do it. But, and so it threw them into confusion, and it threw, and it, it brought trouble to them because it was outside of what they wanted to be their norm. So yes, when we go into places, and this was an entire town. So just imagine, we kind of limit it sometimes. We talk about when we walk into a room, then we should, the spirit of God goes in after we've been in his presence and the residue of God that is on us. When we walk into a room, then you know, the demons that are in there, the spirits that are in there lurking, um, they should be afraid. They should start trembling. They should be like, wait a minute, something has changed here. And you can even see that in the actions of people, they become twitchy or, you know, they don't want to look at you too, too closely. They don't want to make eye contact. And it's like, you may think it's you, and indeed it is, but it's not you alone. It's who is with you. That spirit of God that is in you, the Holy Spirit, they are recognizing it. Just like when Jesus approached the man who um, was filled with the demons with legion, he walked up to the man and immediately the demon said, wait a minute, what are you doing here? We know who you are, but it's not time for you to be here. And he said, he told him to be quiet. I don't need you telling the people who I am, but you must, he told him to be quiet, and then he cast them out. So when we enter into a room and when we enter into a new city, the atmosphere should change. People in that city can, should be wait a minute, something is different here. How, something doesn't feel quite right. Why? Because you just walked in. 
Yes, we walk with that authority. We walk with that power. And it is not in and of ourselves, but it is the Holy Spirit that dwells within us, the mighty Spirit of God that dwells within us, that allows us to go into these places and simply setting foot in that place causes trouble. We don't have to say anything. We don't even really have to do anything. It is just our presence so imbued with the glory and the splendor of God that just sets their teeth on edge. So, oh yeah. Acts 17, 6. But when they failed to find them, Paul and Silas, they dragged Jason and some brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here too. So when you walk into a room, not only should you cause confusion, people should already know who you are. It's like, oh, that's that Christian, that's that Jesus lady, that's that Jesus guy. He talks about this Christ and, you know, he's always, he's always turning, stirring up trouble. He's always making people, he's pulling people out of darkness. He's, he's, he's setting captives free. He's shaking up our status quo so that we can't keep doing life the way that we say we should be doing life. So when you walk into a place, a new job, they'll know about you on that job. When you walk into a grocery store, and you know, have you ever walked into a place and been like, why are they looking at me like that? And you know, in the natural, if we don't catch ourselves, if we are not guarded, if we're not fully armored, our flesh can raise up real quick and we'll be like, well, what's wrong with them? We should know what's wrong with them especially if we've been in our Father's presence, we're irritating those spirits. And they may not even be aware. Just like this young woman who was, who was um, being captive and controlled by the spirit of divination, was she aware of this captivity? And if so, did she even have the tools to be set free, to, be, to break free of that? It took Paul coming into that territory and into that town one, to recognize, two, to love her enough, and three, to have the authority to say, come out of her, and it obey. So when we walk into places, as we mature on this walk, and as we grow, when we walk into those places, we won't just see someone cutting their eyes at us. We'll see someone with that, uh, uh, some sort of spirit, some sort of um, controlling factor on their lives that is not the Holy Spirit who is there to lead and to guide and not to have his thumb on them. And we'll be able to speak to that thing. One, we'll recognize it. Two, we'll love them enough. And three, we'll speak to that thing and tell it to go and it will obey the Spirit of God that is within us. So yes, when we walk into rooms, our lives should disrupt and trouble the status quo of the world. Not because we set out to be troublemakers or to, you know, do things that just, there's a difference between the Spirit of God in us bringing confusion or causing trouble because we're disturbing the status quo and us just going out and doing and saying things that are inflammatory to stir up people's emotions and to, uh, and, and to get the uh, rise out of their flesh. We're not, we're not 
we're not trying to get a rise out of their flesh. We want to go in and set captives free, which that causes trouble and confusion in the kingdom of darkness. So because we walk as Christ walked, following the precepts and ordinances of God, along with the splendor, the light of his glory, our presence alone in a room or in a, in a town, in a city, should cause a stir in the spirit realm. Now, as we say, God is not the author of confusion. But their confusion arises out of a lack of understanding of how we can live in this world, but separate from the things of this world that the world says are important and are even essential for life. We don't satisfy the lusts of the flesh. We, don't, we aren't pursuing the pride of life. We are after, we are seeking first the kingdom and the righteousness of our God. And then he adds all of those things to us. He adds to us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Oh, yeah. And then he might add a car and a house and, you know, marriage and kids. But our first desire should be that relationship with him, should be walking in the fruit of the Spirit so that we have, we are laden with fruit that is enticing to the world so that when, and then when they come, they have something on which they can be nourished, on which some, something on which they can be fed, along with bring, bringing shade and shelter to them. So, yeah, and those fruit of the Spirit, it will dumbfound them everywhere we go. They're dumbfounded. How in the world can they live like this? How can they have such joy and such peace when there's chaos all around? Because we are peace. The peace starts within, and then we take the peace where we go. And they can choose to either accept that peace, they can choose to eat of that fruit of peace, or they can choose to stay in the chaos of where they are. So, now think about it. When you confuse people, when you stir up their status quo, that can sometimes do what? It can breed jealousy, anger, and even hatred. So I'm just going to be honest. When you walk like Christ walked in this earth, you will become a target of men and in the spirit realm. But the spirit uses men to carry out its machinations or carry out its plots and plans. Um, but even in the midst of that persecution, and especially so as we continue to trust and praise and walk and live as children of the King, others will want to know. Acts 16.30, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? This is the jailer asking Paul and Silas, who have been in prison for teaching and preaching the word of God. They've been imprisoned, but in prison they are rejoicing. In prison they are praising. In they were stripped naked. They were beaten bloody. They were chained in these weird positions to be as uncomfortable and demeaning as possible, but still they lifted their voices in praise, and their praise, one, it shook the prison doors loose. It released them from their chains, and when they told that, that, that jailer, they said, don't, don't, don't take your own life. Because if they had walked out of that jail and 
his superiors came and found that jail empty, they would have killed him because those prisoners were his responsibility. But Paul and Silas said, don't hurt yourself. Don't, don't take your own life. Don't do that. And that compassion that he showed them and what they had seen in his behavior and in his demeanor and their praise and in their worship and what God had manifested out of that by shaking them loose of their chains and their bondage, he said, I want what you have. What do I have to do to be saved? How can I get this? So in every situation and circumstance, if we allow him to do so, God can and he will move. So what we experience in this life, it's not about us. Yes, we feel it. Yes, we experience it. But it is not simply for us to experience and to go through. But how we go through it, someone it doesn't matter who it is, from the youngest to the oldest, someone is always watching to see how you go through what you go through. And that will give them the, the courage and the strength to maybe even approach you and say, hey, you've got something that I need. You've got something that I want. You've got something that's gonna allow me to walk through this life and not be the victim and not be the, 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 the tail and not be you know, the last one in line always. And you can tell them what that is. So in this instance, not only was the jailer saved, get this, the jailer takes these two men to his home. He cleans them up, he feeds them, and then he has them share the gift of salvation with the rest of his family. So Paul and Silas's obedience their prayer, their praise in the midst of an impossible circumstance, it broke them free, then it broke free the jailer and the jailer's family. So now they can be discipled, and as they are discipled and as their lives begin to change and show forth that change, what do they go out and do? They go out and make disciples of their own as they begin to walk in the fruit of the Spirit. So what we go through again is not all about us. It's not just about how it makes us feel. Um, there's a very wise woman um, in this church. You'll know who it is when I say what I'm going to say. She says it's not about, it's not what you go through. It's how you go through it. I may not have said it correctly, but that's the gist of it. It's not what you go through. It's how you go through it. Thank you, Mama Love, for being an example of, not, of how you go through of showing us how you walk through um, the seemingly impossible. And you walk through it with victory. Walk through it from a place of victory. Not going to victory, but from a place of victory already. So, when we do as God has told us to do, when we put our hope and trust in Him, He will deliver us. He will deliver us and use the very people who sought to take us out to serve us. So, that's in Acts 16, 36 through 40, where the jailer actually takes them home, cleans them up, he tends to their wounds. Yet another allusion to Isaiah 61, where we are to bind up the brokenhearted and tend to their wounds. So this is what the jailer does because of Paul and Silas's obedience to God. So we're just about done here, but one last thing I, I want to, to share with you. Um, 
Paul and Silas were eventually released. The magistrates wanted to simply send a message to the jailer and say, hey, let them go. Tell them they can go on. Tell them to get out of the city, stop doing what they're doing, and, and get out. And Paul was like, wait a minute. No. You're not just going to basically in secret dismiss us. He says, but Paul said to them, they have beaten us in public without a trial, men who are Romans, and have thrown us into prison, and now they are sending us out secretly? He was indignant. He was like, wait a minute. You're not going to treat, first you demean us, you beat us, you imprison us. We are even of Roman descent. And then you want to just chew us out, hush it up, brush it under the rug. And he's like, no, I, I don't think so. Let them come here themselves and bring us out. So when your heritage is revealed, because they found out that Paul was a Roman citizen, and they were like, oh boy, we are in trouble. Let us, let's do this quietly, as quietly as possible. But when your heritage is revealed, and we're not Roman citizens, we're talking about kingdom citizens, we are children of the king, children of the most high God, your enemies will be terrified. When they find out who your daddy is, your heavenly father is, oh, they're trembling and they're shaking in their boots. For they will recognize that it mean, what it means and the treacherous position they have placed themselves in. And they will personally and publicly lead you from the very same prison that they had others throw you into. So they have to come get you and take you out. But they had someone else to put you in prison in the first place. So it, it's just, whew, it's like, okay, God, I, I, when we know who we are because of whose we are, we don't accept just any old thing. And I'm not talking about going out there and, and getting in people's faces and just being arrogant and, and condescending. But it's, no, recognizing who you are and not allowing the enemy, our true enemy, not just this flesh and blood, but this, the, 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 the enemy, Satan, who tries to, who utilizes the flesh and the blood. He utilizes these vessels to carry out his plans and his plots in this earth. But when we recognize who we are, we don't allow him to run roughshod over us. We know it's like, no, my dad, my dad said, I can't let you ride my bike and you better give me back my bike. And we don't worry about what they're going to say because we already know that if we have, we have the authority to say in my father's name, give me back what you just took from me. And so here they demanded their freedom and they demanded it publicly. So when you recognize your true heritage, who you truly are, you will not simply accept whatever people decide to give you. You will have the boldness, the courage to demand what God has already told you is yours. So um, one last thing I do want to leave you with, I think I might have said that already, but this time for real. <laughs> God does not lead you to a place of confinement just to have you there. He didn't let Paul and Silas end up arrested. They didn't end up in prison just to be in prison for the sake of being in prison. There is purpose in your imprisonment. There is purpose in your confinement. 
and there are promises attached to your perseverance. For you, yes, but as we just saw illustrated, for others as well through your obedience and steadfastness. So we are representatives of Christ in this earth. We are his hands and his feet. We are his mouthpiece. So we speak into this earth the things that God would have us to speak. We are told in his word that what we bind on earth is bound in heaven and what we loose on earth is loosed in heaven. And let me say it a different way, what we allow on earth is allowed in heaven and what we disallow in this earth is disallowed in heaven. We hear the rain falling right now. We know that there's yet another threat of potentially dangerous weather. So let me ask you, have you been declaring into the atmosphere peace? Yes, we have that authority to declare into the atmosphere peace, to declare this storm to, to, to cease. And not when the storm is happening, before the storm even presents itself. We don't wait until after the destruction has been wrought and then we go pray to God, Lord, you know, save this person and help this person to rebuild. But how about we go to our father when the story of Hezekiah, the prophet came to Hezekiah and told him, get your house in order because you're going to die. Hezekiah said, he turned his face to the wall and he said, wait a minute, God, if you kill me, how am I going to bring honor to you? How am I going to, am, am I going to spread your word? How am I going to let people know about you? And so God gives him what? Another 15 years. So when we can, I'm not calling them prophets by any stretch of the imagination, but when these weather forecasters and they're telling us, oh, you're going to have just this awful string of tornadoes coming through and it's going to be utter devastation. You go to your Father in heaven, and you ask him, Father, we need you to come in and settle this weather. You go out into your front yards, and you declare peace to the storm. And not just for, not just for you, but you see those clouds, and wherever those clouds go, you're declaring peace in those areas as well. And then you pray and you ask that the people who are in those areas, that those children, those kingdom citizens in those areas as well would take up that cry of peace be still. So we had these uh, tremendous storms, tornadoes. I, I, the last thing I heard was like 30 plus tornadoes come through in a single day. Not a single life was lost. Not one person, yes, there was destruction of property. I saw some myself this weekend, and, it, and it, it brought me to tears. And I'm like, God, no one lost their life, so I praise you for that first and foremost. But now what can I do for the next time so that this family doesn't lose their home, they don't lose everything? And so what do we do as kingdom citizens to thwart. We have dominion in this earth. Father God said to have dominion, to rule not over each other, 
if we would spend less time trying to have dominion over each other and ruling over each other and actually having dominion and rule over the places and the things that we're supposed to have dominion, we will see the changes in the earth that God has told us that we will see. He says that we will see heaven on earth. We don't have to wait until we die and then he, we ascend into the heavens to see the goodness of God in this earth. We bring the goodness of God to this earth through our mouths through speaking the word of God and declaring it into this atmosphere and then we live it so that when we open our mouths to be witnesses to the men and women that we encounter our lives are already our words are simply confirmation of the lives that they have already seen us living because I guarantee you you are being watched they are looking and they are listening and when you finally do have that opportunity to speak to them and to tell them about the goodness of God, they know that you're not just running off at the mouth, but there is something real there because your relationship with him has been on display the entire time. So, on that note, I am going to wish you a, a pray that you have a wonderful night that you walk in your true identity as representatives of Christ, that you live according to the laws and the precepts in his word, not because you have to follow a bunch of rules, but because you are in such relationship with him that you want to do what pleases your father. And you know what pleases him by getting into your word. You don't turn to it from the left or the right, but you meditate on it day and night and everything that you put your hand to will prosper. So, Father God, I thank you again for this opportunity to come before your people. I pray, Father God, that you would keep them, that you would go before them, that they would encounter you in new and, and, and deepening ways, Father God. Lord, I pray that it's time and that they would get out of the kiddie pool and jump into the deep end with you, trusting you, fully confident in you and what you have called them to do and who you are and that you will be the one leading them and guiding them and giving them the strength to do everything that you have called them to do. Lord, we thank you, and we love you, we praise you, and I pray that everyone would get home safely to every destination that they have. In Jesus' name, amen.